Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, and a very pleasant good Saturday afternoon to you. Harry Alexander with you in Bunker de France. And here in Tucson in Los Angeles, it's our good friend Todd Roberts. And on the phone... And on the phone, it's Kellen Cutsforth, uh, calling us Hello. from Colorado. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Today's program, howdy. we are going to be talking about the colorization of movies. and Western movies. Western movies, to be specific. Bees, even better. Um, and this just kind of topic just kind of evolved over time. Uh, Bunker and I would talk about it frequently and wonder about it. And then we wondered who in the world would be have any kind of knowledge uh, about how this goes on, how this ha- how this works. And we thought of Kellen, because Kellen is into graphic novels or co- uh, comic books. Electronics. And electronics. And, and he's he, a geek like the rest of us. Yeah, and so he probably has a handle. He emails me back and says, well, I know enough to get myself in trouble. I said, you're hired. <laughs> yeah, that's, all, that's, that's what we're about. And so trouble. here we are. But before we get into what we're going to be t- uh, talking about today, uh, we have a couple of messages. today. Well, First off, today is Ben Johnson's birthday. Happy birthday, Uncle Ben. And yesterday was the day, yesterday or the 11th? Uh, two le- days ago. Two days ago was the uh, anniversary of John Wayne's uh, passing. Oh, moment of silence. That's enough. Let's get talking. Okay. So. Well, I've got a little bit of a, a kind of a brass pennies worth of introduction on colorization here. It's short, it's sweet, but it covers it pretty well. Colorization, a computerized process by which black and white films are converted to color for showing on TV. The conversion practice, which became widespread in the mid to late 80s, 70s and 80s, and affected many Hollywood classics of the 30s and 40s, met with fierce objection by filmmakers who termed it a vulgar assault on the creative rights of artists. Although colorization is still practiced, its process was slowed by the organized uh, protest, by technological imperfections, and the higher-than-expected cost. That's your poor man's explanation. Callan, what do you think about colorization? Well, um, you know, I have... Oh, Todd, Todd, hang on. I I asked Callan there. Stand by. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Go ahead. Callan, go ahead. Uh, You know, for me, um, you know, in some ways I like it because I think um, as as the years have gone by, uh, the colorization process has gotten better with, with, uh, with digital coloring. Mm-hmm. But um, in, in other ways, uh, in some ways, I don't like it because um, I, I, I think sometimes you take away from the film. Uh, you take, uh, you know, some of the technical guys will tell you, you know, uh, the way it was lit, the way it was shot was because they knew it was going to be in black and white. And so they lit it that certain way so so you get the resolution that you do mm-hmm. and when you colorize it you change it mm-hmm. um and 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 i can see that aspect for me though just personally i think sometimes it takes away the nostalgia of the film um and and it you know certain certain movies in black and white uh to me should always be in in black and white because that's the way they were shot and that's the way that uh i remember seeing them first before, um, uh, really, in, in my experience, uh, my, um, Ted Turner was the one who really started mm-hmm. doing a lot of colorization mm-hmm. of movies. So I, I, maybe I'm a fence writer a little bit. There's some there's some movies I've seen and I said, "Wow, that's that's amazing." That 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 I if, if I hadn't known that that was originally shot in black and white, I wouldn't know that it was black and white. Um, but then there's other ones. Uh, why say why did you do that? Why why did you have to do that? Um, and and so and 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 part of it I know though too that I kind of lean on the on the positive side is they did it because in in the days of of uh, cable television in the early days of cable television and that and when cable television was, was more popular 
it allowed them to play movies to a new audience who had made, you know, a younger audience who mm-hmm. never seen a movie in black and white and, right. and really wasn't familiar with that. And so they did it in in color so so they could identify with, with what they were seeing. So I, I'm a fence writer, I guess. I guess. I guess. No, it's not. You're a mugwump. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. You're a mugwump. You mugs on one side and your wumps on the other. So, Todd, how far on the yeah, fence? Yeah, totally. How, how far on the fence are you, Todd? I'm 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 really worse than than, than Michael, um, because I have a little history with it. Um, my dad was approached in the early '80s after he left Lorimar by a gentleman by the name of Charlie Knapp, who owned a company called American Savings and Loan. You might remember. <laughs> oh and, yeah. <laughs> uh, he started another company called Trafalgar. He was an entrepreneur. He was a businessman. He wanted to make money. And he had known my dad for years, and he asked my dad to come in and steward his colorization operation. And uh, he knew Turner well. He also knew uh, Michael Milton very well. And he thought he was going to build a company which would not only do the colorization, but also release it uh, on to, you know, be the distributor to cable, television, or wherever. And um, my dad was very enthusiastic about it, and I had a lot of concerns about it, and I expressed those to him. And I, you know, my dad's opinion was, and I take I take note of it, and I respect it, which is, uh you know, I said, my argument was, Dad, the director shot it in color or shot it in black and white for his own personal preference of uh, to make the statement of a piece of art for it to be the way it is shown. The, in the same way he uses a certain actor, it's the same way he uses wide shots or close-ups or pan shots or moving shots or whatever other things, actors, music. And he chose that, he made that choice. And uh, I said, could we ever want to watch My Darling Clementine in color? I mean, as much as tempting as it is to watch uh, Monument Valley in the background and the beautiful red, we all agree that we we love She Wore a Yellow Ribbon more than we like, in some ways, Fort Apache and Monday because... I know, I know, Bunker. Calm down. Put the knife down. Uh, you know, because of the color, and you know, and how beautifully it's brought to life, and she wore a yellow ribbon. Um, and my dad's opinion was, yeah, Todd, I, I, I get all that. I, I understand the director's point of view, but in the end, it was owned by it's owned by the producer, the guy who paid for it all, the guy who wrote the check, mm-hmm. and if he wants to take his Picasso. And hang it in upside down in his home. He has every right to do so. I don't say it's right or it's wrong, but he has every right to do so, and nobody has the right to tell him not to. I said, "Well," he said, "and by the way, everybody has the right to say no to it by not watching it. Yeah, there you if you go. don't like it, don't watch it. Yeah. Then get your DVD or VHS or Beta or whatever it might be in whatever format." In the format you want, and don't have the other format. That's that's uh, you get to vote with your hands or your fingers or your wallet or your punch or your remote control or whatever it is. Well, so I understand both. Well, we um, uh, prior to the program, I did a uh, a poll uh, through our Facebook page. Voices of the West uh, Facebook page asking uh, people what did they think about uh, colorization? Do they think it takes away from the story, detracts from the story, adds something? And the responses were (laughs) Yeah uh, (laughs) The the, uh, uh, Amazingly enough out of 350 People who voted in the That's in the a poll. Good number. That is, it was divided half, mm-hmm. all right down the middle. Probably did half yes. Too. Oh really? I don't know. Half yes, half no. Some comments were leave them alone. Some comments were it needed to be done in order to introduce younger viewers. 
uh, who may not be familiar with black and white or not like black and white to begin with. And, and I understand that that thinking. My grandson is six years old and will not watch something that has people in it. It's animation. Yeah, I'm serious. It's animation that he loves. This kid has taste. Yeah. And so when I got him to watch, spend 10 minutes and watch The Great Train Robbery, I felt that to be a real accomplishment. Yeah. Well, you know, I want, to, I want to go a little backstory on how we came about this show. Uh, they've been running some uh, of the old Lone Star monograms with Wayne. Here, and they're put out by Jim, which I, I, I believe is probably a subsidiary of Screen Gyms. But what got me was that the color... And for the most part, I thought it was better than the old established color of Technicolor with all the different studio colors because it was a natural, realistic. Yeah. It wasn't Technicolor's brilliant, but Technicolor's unrealistic. Yeah. And here's, but here's the thing: I I spent several hours out at Ron and Carla Martin yesterday on the computer, and I came across an article called "A, a Colorization Comeback" by Marla. Mazur, and this was written in, in I think, in uh, 79, 89. And, but I, I learned a whole bunch of stuff that is, I think is super pertinent. Uh -huh. One of the things is, you know, when we talk about, well, the, the director's choice and the camera and the lighting and all that, we keep forgetting that the driving force in these old three-day B-Westerns was economics, not yep. art. Yep. And so that's a that's a major factor. Now I want to give you a little little funny statistic here. Shirley Temple's colorized Heidi has sold twenty six times as many copies as its black and white version, or one point two million colorized versus forty six thousand black and white. Wow. Now you know you, when you get to, you get to thinking like that, and this is the other thing too. It's I, 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 I look at these things and like John Wayne's wearing a black and hat, whether black hat, whether it's a black black and white or a color, it's a black hat. Yeah. In the colorized version, you can see texture, you can see how how the light where the hat creases and bends, you can actually see that kind of grayness that's there sure. in a hat naturally yeah. that yeah. you don't see in natural color. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I've seen one of those uh, old ones, and I don't remember which one it was, but it was the the, the coloring was muted, I guess, and, and it did look real natural. Now, for me, you know, you, you watch. I love watching old bees, and. For me, when I see the Alabama Hills in color, that that's totally different <laughs> message to me than when I see it in black and white. See them in black and white. Oh, I don't know why. Well, it's like looking at an Ansel Adams. Yeah. You know, you look at Ansel Adams and you say, "Who would dare color it?" Well, here's the thing too. You think about like the early when they Turner started doing the colorization, it was analog, and they had basically tin colors. Uh, the well, there's one company now that's doing it, and let me find that number here. Here we go. Company can reproduce 16.7 million colors. Good grief! Now, you know what that means? That means any possible shade that the human eye can pick up, and nothing's better than the human eye for picking up color. I'm, I'm going to be a little politically incorrect here. It's a company of color, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand that phrase. <laughs> but, yeah. Harry, Harry, I know, I know. Harry. <laughs> you know, here's the thing too. Uh, this is this is this is interesting. A lot of the old bees, as we know, especially when Turner was doing them, were reaching the end of their copyright period. Mm -hmm. Now, when you colorize a movie, you get a 75-year extension, not on that movie, but on the colorized version. Oh. So that means you control it and the money that it generates as opposed to, you know, now that you can watch, you're more likely to see a black and white now because it doesn't going to cost as much. Sure. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's part of the thing. It's interesting. Kellen, what, 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 what are you thinking about all this? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I think it goes back to the, you know, what we talked about, that the, 
you know, um, some of the movies look great, right? Some of them look, wow, gosh, you know, and, and for me, I, it, especially when it's Westerns and I see Monument Valley, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of, in a lot of the Westerns colorized, um, it, it is really eye catching. Um, it brings you to it and, and it, and in some ways, um, I think in color, it does more, uh, what John Ford wanted it to do, which is the, you know, his thing is always the landscape as a character, you know, mm-hmm. the, the person against the land. It's a, it's a character. It's, a, it's, it's what so many of his films are set against. And when you see it in color, um, it's eye, it's really eye popping. Um, but then, you know, in other terms, especially in the early, in the early days of, of colorization when it, when it became more, um, uh, more rampant, I guess, uh, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, a lot of those early colorizations are bad um, to yeah. me. Oh, yes. You know, it looks they like are. somebody just took a pastel wipe at it, and and um, you know, John Wayne is almost pink. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other characters, but you know, it looks it looks off a little bit. But as the years have gone by, like you say, I mean, you mentioned how many colors there are. I'm picking it up. Uh, the palette has widened, and so you can you can colorize a scene, and you can do it um, more efficiently and quicker with with digital technology now than you could in the 80s, and then in, even in the 90s when it was when it was going. Um, so, you know, that, I mean, the technical aspects of it are better. Um, and, and as I think, as we talked kind of when we were emailing back and forth, I said, you know, now, um, there are, there are entire scenes in, in movie shot now and say they want it to make it look like it's in the dust bowl mm-hmm. and the, they can paint the sky, uh, a brown, um, and you don't even notice it. It's just sort of part of the background. It's, it's it's so well done. So in those respects, when it's well done, I think that's good. And I also think it's good. Um, I always think it's good to introduce any new and younger audiences to uh, those films, you know, because it gets them involved. It keeps sure. going. Exactly. It's what yeah. keeps the Western alive. All right, we got to um, take a break here. We got to take our first break here. We're talking with Kellen Cutsforth on uh, uh, about colorization. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Bunker de France is here. I'm here. I'm Harry Alexander. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, and we're going to be back right after these very, very important messages. Do not run away, please. The land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club has served Southern Arizona since its original incorporation in 1948. We have a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse with a restaurant and lounge, and we're open year-round for all your sporting needs. Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday from 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Come out and join us at our world-renowned facility located here in the Old Pueblo, Tucson Trap and Ski Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. For more information, call 883-6426. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. 
military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. We are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander with you, Bunker de France, Todd Robertson, Los Angeles, Kellen Cutsforth on the phone in Colorado. We are talking about film colorization, and if it ain't broke, why fix it? Well, you know, we were talking during the break, and and Harry said, we got to repeat this conversation. And what basically what I was saying was, you know, for years... Uh, I, w- I was watching Big Sky. It's my second favorite picture after Searchers. I've actually probably seen it more time than Searchers. But I saw it for years, and it was always on black and white on television, right? Well, one day I, I said, oh, it's on. I turned it on, and it's in color. And I went, holy moly, I didn't know it was in color. Because back in those days, when you watched television, it didn't matter whether the movie was shot in black in color or black and white. Everything was black and white. Exactly. And so, and so for the longest time, I was thinking, oh, the big sky was shot in color. Well, come to find out, it wasn't shot in color. They just did a beautiful job of colorization. Yeah, I'm... I'm- I'm not as old as you are, Bunker, but I'm, I'm right there. And I followed pretty much everything, you know, in growing up watching television. There was no color TV yeah. uh, when I was growing up. Uh, I didn't see color television until 1968. Well, think about this. Or 1969, rather. And I, th- I think everybody here will ap- appreciate this analogy. Probably, I think the greatest filmmaker, especially of Westerns, is John Ford, right. for his composition, the way he put shots together, cast, all of the elements. Now, he preferred black and white over color. Searchers is my favorite movie. I think it's the best shot movie. Well, I got to thinking just now when we were talking, you know, if you were to show Searchers in black and white, it would look like the way that Ford wanted it to look, because even though he shot in color, mm-hmm. he thought in black and white. Yeah. And so I think that's an element, too. You know, uh, I agree. There's some shows that are so favorite to me that to show them in color would be sacrilege. Well, the film I'm going to use for an example is uh, 310 to Yuma. The original 310 to Yuma, uh, Glenn Ford and Van Heflin, that was, when was that, 1950-something... I don't remember the exact year that came out. And then we have the second 310 to Yuma that came out uh, with Russell... 57. Okay. With Russell Crowe. And, um, but that I, was a bad move. I, I've seen both of them. And I'm sorry, it just... The second one does not hold up. Even if it was colorized, yeah. it doesn't hold up hey, for it, me. It, the second one wouldn't be a better picture if you showed it in black and white. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. <laughs> Uh, and, and you know, and there's some other, there's some other movies out there. I mean, if somebody were to colorize Citizen Kane, I would have to actively find them and uh, break their arms. Well, you know, because that well, is I, that is a film that never should be colorized. Well, Wells didn't want it colorized. Well, no, but, but you know, I'll tell you one. This is funny because Turner at one time was going to colorize it, and they actually yeah. they colorized the scene. Mm-hmm. And that scene is in a documentary. 
so you can see what it would have looked like in color. But but again, though, you're seeing it out of context of the whole film. The way the film the film was meant to be shot in black and white, the, the shadows, the angles, oh, yeah. everything that Wells did with that movie, with that film, uh, it was cutting edge, I thought. I well, here, you know, here's an interesting thing, too. There's, you know, there's the process, and uh, Cohen and, and Todd are probably more likely to be familiar with it than you and me, but it's called Neural Net Technology. And it's it's basically, it's, it's, it's using, it's trying to make the computer think and act like a, a human brain. I see. And they've got what they call Artificial Neutral Network, A-N-N. And it's equally suitable to low-budget colorization, uh, broadcast quality, theatrical projection. What it does is it takes, because the process, color process, has now gotten down to the point, it's like microprocessing. They, they graft it and they do and there's just so many different elements. You know, it's, it, it boggles the mind at all of the stuff that goes into it now. But the neural net technology, what that does is, like, you know, you've got a hairline. Now, the old stuff, when sometimes when somebody would move, the brown hair would get down around their eyebrows, yeah, right. you know. And But with this, it anticipates it. It actually mm. anticipates the frame before and the frame after that the frame it's on. Jesus. And it's just amazing what it does. Kellen, are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's a form of... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a form of artificial intelligence, so it, it, it knows. I mean, it is a program. It's running a program, but, it, but it's aware, so you can map it to each movie. You know what I mean? You can take a short, mm. you, can take a, you can take a feature length, and, it, and it'll know. What it just, as, just as Bunker described it perfectly, it knows when, when it's going to go to the next, when you're going to cut to the next, uh, uh, frame, um, the frame before, frame after, and so it can manually adjust. So, as you say, you don't see the movement of color, you don't, you don't see the shift in shade or anything like that. And also, when you when you move from uh, one frame to the next, it also keeps the color of the background mm-hmm. as well. So, if if you have a character uh, moving within a house to a different room and say one room is, you know, the dining room is red and they walk into the connected kitchen, which is blue. Um, you don't get any, you don't get any shift or, or fade. It, it, it's almost as though it's, it's hand-drawn, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. almost as though it knows exactly when you're moving and, and it is amazing. And, and that's why I say as, as the technology has gotten better, I have less and less um, issues with, with the colorization because... It, it looks good, and and we've all mentioned, you know, that there's movies where we watch it's like, damn, this looks terrible, and then other ones where we've seen in in, in color, and as as I say, you know, you wouldn't have known it was if you didn't know it was in black and white. It was still originally shot in black and white. You would have thought it was always in color. But if you knew it was in black and white, and now it appears in color, does it take away? Does that colorization take away from the movie, from from itself, from the story? Uh, is it a distraction because now you're seeing it in color? It's kind of a combination yeah. of intellectual and emotional response. Yeah, I mean, so, Todd, so Todd Roberts, how do you deal with that? Well, I think that I think you know you can come at it from two different perspectives. You can come at it from the perspective of the director, like John Ford, who had. He had any uh, and every opportunity to shoot Stagecoach and especially My Darling Clementine and Rio Grande and Fort Apache in color. He chose not to. And I still say to this day that My Darling Clementine is the greatest black and white film cinematography-wise ever shot. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, the whole picture from beginning to end is a photography exhibit. Um, and then you can look at it from the other side of somebody like my sister-in-law, who, although is an adult and a grandmother, 48 years old, she still to this day s- loves to berate my brother for making her sit and watch a black and white film <laughs> when, they first start, when they first started dating. So if he does something goofy and you know something off and something wrong some takes a wrong turn on the highway they get lost or something 
And he'll go, oh, sorry about that, hon. And she'll go, yeah, yeah, well, at least it's not as bad as the time you made me sit and watch that black and white movie. Mm -hmm. Boy. <laughs> and I go, and I never heard that. I never knew of that, wow. you know. I, I mean, you don't know every, unless you live with somebody, you don't hear every story, right? Yeah, right. So, well, you know, they've been married now 20 years, so somewhere along 16 years into it, <laughs> I hear this. <laughs> and it's been bubbling under the surface. You know, <laughs> Mike, you don't know me really well, but uh, it's, Ke it's, Kel it's do Kellen. It. So Kellen. You, it's Kellen, Ke excuse me. So you can imagine my, my ire. <laughs> you know, it, it, the hairs on the back of my head stood up. Like a mohawk, a, a mohawk uh, haircut. I just, I and I and I probably had had a drink or two because when we sit at my brother's house in Las Vegas, that's basically what we do. We wait for her to cook the next meal, and in between, we drink and smoke cigars. And she said, you know, and I heard, I, I, what, what, what? And well, yeah, Todd, my brother looks at me and goes. Can you imagine? She berated me for making her sit and watch, you know, uh, 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 Casablanca in black and white. And she made some comment. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, you know, can you imagine? And I said, excuse me? And all of a sudden she looked at me and she, you know, she had this, she thought I was a confederate with her. And she should have known better. Obviously, it shows, you know, just because you've known somebody for 20 years so they take the time uh, to know uh, you. Yeah, right. Uh, and Brothers I, are thicker than water. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked up and I said, uh, "What? let me well, hold, put the brakes on here. Let me understand this. You berated my brother for making you watch, uh, at one time, the greatest film of all time, now the second greatest film of all time. <laughs> Because it's in black and white? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, really. I mean, emotional you know, and intellectual. You know, like, okay, they, you know, that's like for grandma, you know, for like my grandmother. Oh, boy. Wow. And well, I said, well, just for your information, um, Missy, <laughs> uh, there was a point in time. In the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, that they issued an Oscar for black and white cinematography along with color cinematography. Right. Yeah. Right. And she yeah. she looked at me with, at first it was contempt, <laughs> and then there was pity. fear. <laughs> and then fear, pity. Like, fear like, oh my God, the world's coming to an end. Uh, this is it, and I better, you know, I better just, I, I better take the last good drink I can take before <laughs> it all comes to an end. And, you know, I it's funny because I, uh, Colin, I, uh, I have a dating life, which is really, uh, could not qualify as a Western film. It's more of a horror flick, a B-horror <laughs> flick. And um, I went out on a date once, and I took this girl to see Casablanca. We're on the subject, so... Uh, she wanted to go to a movie. I said, fine, let's go to a movie. We sit down, and she's reading the program, and uh, she says, uh, almost, I couldn't get a reaction out of her at all. We had already had dinner, and she thought the food was fine, but she didn't say anything. And then she's looking at the program, and she says um, that uh, we're just sitting there. I can't get her to say a word in edgewise at all. And finally she goes, oh, oh my God. And she's reading the program, and I said, what? What's the matter? She goes, this movie was made the year my dad was born. <laughs> and I said, oh, God, please. She's related to can your sister-in-law. Can I, can, I, can I crawl inside your purse and we leave? Goodness. You know, because there were all these people sitting around, all these, these art film lovers, you know, sure. and so right. on. And we finished the film, and we go for a walk through Westwood. We went and saw it at the Arm & Hammer Museum in the Billy Wilder Theater, and we took a walk afterwards. And I said, so, um, you know, um, so what do you think? And you have to realize that other than, than the searchers, Casablanca, Citizen Kane, Gone with the Wind, that's about it for me. I, you know, that's as good as it gets. And... <laughs> You know, this film, and High Noon, I mean, it talks about all the same themes. Loyalty, betrayal, mm -hmm. honor, 
keeping your word, you know, so on and so on. And I said, so what'd you think? And she says, well, it was okay. <laughs> I mean, it was okay. You know, okay. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was okay. You know, it wasn't horrible or anything like that, but it was okay. <laughs> and I, and I oh. said, I, I just, I was, I was like in pain. I wanted to rip my skin off. <laughs> I would have been, I would have been, I would have been less uncomfortable if I'd ripped my skin off. And I, I find, I finally worked up the, 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 I trying to get rid of the anger and try to be sensible and more adult and more mature. And I, Huh? Well, Todd, try to try to create <laughs> a conversation here. And I said, "So, do you have any hobbies?" <laughs> and she said, uh, yeah, "Yeah, I got I got a few hobbies." And I said, "What are they?" She goes, "I like to get my nails done and my toes done." Oh, righty then. Said, That's a hobby. <laughs> yeah, I said, "Do you have a favorite food?" She goes, mm, "No, I can't really think of a favorite food, but I sure do like salt." <laughs> So that was the epitome of the date right there. Oh, and it's my. also was in line with someone who would say that Casablanca, you know, is black and white. And it's okay. It's okay. Well, and on that note, we've got to, we're over, uh, over for our next break here. So we're going to do that. It's Samuel Franzi's Voices of the West. Todd Roberts, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Cullen Cutsforth is on the horn. We'll be back with more after this. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Skeet Club has served Southern Arizona since its original incorporation in 1948. We have a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse with a restaurant and lounge, and we're open year-round for all your sporting needs. Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday from 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Come out and join us at our world-renowned facility located here in the Old Pueblo, Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. For more information, call 883-6426. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats, but did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. 
Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zouts podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zouts. Until then, that's a wrap. Stranger, you just yupped yourself into a hole in the head. This is the Voices of the West. We are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Had to throw in some... Yosemite Sam in there because of... Uh, God, you just got yourself <laughs> shot into a hole in the head. Well, it's in response to what... Uh, who was it? Net, Netflix? Hulu? Yeah. One of the... HBO taking away... Uh, oh, yeah! The, the, uh, uh, what's his the name? Guns. Yeah. Elmer, Elmer Fudd's gun. not going to have his shotgun anymore. And Yosemite's not going to have his guns anymore. Come on, people. You know, that brings up... Again, Harry and me were talking during the during the break and you guys missed some great conversation some of the better conversations we ever have but Todd mentioned a movie when he was talking about his dating experience and that movie's in the news now and it's got me uh, it's politically incorrect to say it but it's got me pissed off yeah uh, uh, Gone with the Wind Gone with the Wind they're taking it out of circulation I'd like to ask everybody to give me their 10 second reaction to this because I think it's atrocious Kellen, you go first. Terrible. Terrible. Anything else? Terrible. Any- Absolutely terrible. Okay. Todd, I think it's uh, I think it's disgusting, disgraceful, and cowardly. Cowardly. It is the good. first first female uh, black American mm-hmm. to win an Oscar for mm-hmm. great, for best supporting role. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a great novel. Um. And this argument that I hear from certain communities that it portrays that all uh, uh, all black people or African Americans were enjoying slavery uh, is ridiculous because there is more than enough uh, film literature and historical literature to let you know that that's not the case. Yeah. This is one person's experience from stories she heard as a girl, just as D.W. Griffith heard stories as a boy, and then created the films he created. Um, if we really want to understand our history and not repeat it, we don't erase it, we embrace it, exactly. and then we completely, utterly consume it so that we understand it. And that ra- way we don't repeat it. It's erasing um, history. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, my opinion yeah. on this whole thing is it's a bunch of BS, horse hockey, whatever, whatever expletive what form the, of excrement you can describe yeah, it with. It, it, that's what that's what that is because these people fail to take into account the times in which these films were made and the the mores of the times. And yeah, it's a reflection. You were looking back onto ourselves as we were it's, then. And it's just one view uh, yeah. amongst millions of views but, of a certain period of time in this country. Yeah. It's thought control is it, what it is. Well, yeah, it's thought control. Yeah. And it's a stupid and idea. Well, here's the if thing. We really, if we really, really knew our history, we'd know there's a book called Uncle, Uncle Tom's Cabin uh-huh. that was written... 80 years before Mm -hmm. Margaret Mitchell wrote her book, Mm -hmm. which created a a fervor. Mm -hmm. And only now that you've, you know, I I know that I took up too much time last chapter. This (laughs) chapter I'll take up a little more by saying, now that you've got me going, Harry, I'm I'm, going to lose it. He's wound up. Uh, Uh, We've expanded the uh, show to 90 minutes. You know, amongst everything else of, of destroying statues... Uh, my favorite statue, that there are two favorite bronze uh, 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 statues that were defaced, 
were the one in Philadelphia, and I forget his name, and I'm sorry, I apologize. Uh, they defaced the statue of one of the first abolitionists in the state of Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania. Hmm. He lived in Philadelphia. He employed the black men that worked for him. He paid them. They were not slaves. And he paid a lot of his money, all of his charity money, went to paying for uh, black children to become educated, to learn how to read. And after they were taught how to read, they then became educated. The other one that was defaced was in Boston of the 54th. So for all of us wow. who do know, or wow. those of us who don't, the 54th was a black infantry regiment which war. fought against the Civil War, in the Civil War, yep. against the Confederacy, and killed Confederates. There's a great, there was a great movie made uh, about the Glory. Glory. called Glory. Yeah. Glory. With Matthew Broderick mm -hmm. and uh, Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington and, won the Academy Award. And, yeah. And Bands yeah, of and, Angels. Uh, Don't, forget that one. Don't forget Bands so, of Angels. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're, you're going to deface a monument of guys who went and killed the people that you hate. You're so ignorant. You're so uneducated. You're so full of rage and contempt that you couldn't see your way out of your own house. You're burning your house and down. Can, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're burning your well, own house. You're consuming yourself. Well, think about this. Two of the greatest novels ever written, both written by the same gentleman, Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, they have been after both of those books, trying to censor and take them out of libraries mm. for at least 40, 50 years now. Yeah. Yep. It, it's, it's atrocious. Well, when, uh, when I was in school, it was Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. They wanted to get, well, uh, get rid of I, that my, <laughs> my final My final statement on this subject is, and I've said, and I, I can't take credit for it. My dad's the one who used to say that. This, only Nazis burn books. And on Bur that... Burning books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we got to do our final break here. We're going to do that just a bit early uh, so we can finish up talking about movie colorization here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We're talking with Todd Roberts in Los Angeles, Kellen Cutsforth in Colorado, Bunker DeFrance is here. I'm Harry Alexander. We will be right back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911 
Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Watch classic Western movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. We are back on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker de France is here. In Los Angeles, our good friend Todd Roberts on the phone from Colorado is uh, Kellen Cutsforth. We are talking about colorizing movies, and is it a good thing, a bad thing, or do we are we making a mountain out of a molehill here? And uh, maybe we are, maybe we aren't. But uh, there are some movies that should remain black and white and not be colored. I think I think you when you you hit the nail on the head there Harry. It's basically it's about favorite and favoritism. Yeah. And if if you like that movie and you don't want it colored, like Todd said, don't rent it, don't buy it. But if you like that movie and you don't mind it being colored, go for it. Sure. In other words, you know, but be be honest about it and not dogmatic. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately I don't think that that way. No, no, people can't How many times, Bunker, have we talked about how great the big trail would look in 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 the great technology of colorization of to the colorization of today to be colorized and with the proper sound. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different film. Yeah. I would like different. I would like to see a hoppy colorized and that would that would sw- that would sway you one way or the other. One way or another, uh, because hoppies are like sacred to me. It's sacred, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's silly. I, I he's, agree. He's got agree. you know one of those little niscos nis in the in the walls like you have yeah, in yeah, Mexican homes, yeah. and he's got Saint Hoppy up there. Yeah, I do. I, uh, topper, <laughs> topper, and uh, six. Uh, uh, well, I want. I want to. But I, anyway, I, ahead, I would Eric. love to see one of those colorized, just to I see would too. because, like I said at the top of the show. Um, for me, when I see the Alabama Hills in color and not or not in color, that it's a different film for me. Yo, here's an interesting thing. One of the things that they do when they're colorizing films nowadays is they go back and they try to find props from the film. And what they do is they could because they they do a color analysis of the props and they use that kind of as a basis to work everything else off hmm. of it because that way. They have a foundation to work from, and they know the values hmm. uh, of that, at least that one thing. Now, I want to give you this. This is the fellow who started it all, a guy, a guy named Wilson Markle. He was a Canadian engineer. He invented film colorization in 1970. His first company, Transformation Colorized Pictures, for the Apollo space program, to make a full-color TV presentation for NASA. Huh. And he's the guy that really that got the modern... Because before then, they, they had different processes, audible with hand. Mm-hmm. They had another process that was with stencils. And I'll, he'll give you here give you a little another tidbit here. Topper and Way Out West were the first black-and-white films to be redistributed uh, using dis- digital colorization. Topic was Topper was first, but way out west, that's Oral and Hardy. That's one of their best yeah. pictures, and that's a western. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, I think I think you know it, a lot of it has to do with uh, content, and because you know if the if the like because Laurel and Hardy, the content is Laurel and Hardy, mm-hmm. and 
and, and that's why you watch it. And yeah. if it happens to be in color, oh well, that's okay. It's not. It's not. It's not a deal, deal breaker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I've always had a problem with watching uh, film of yesteryear. Every now and then, you come across these. Uh, um, documentaries, New York colorized mm-hmm. from 1920, and, and those kinds of things. Those are kind of cool, but it really blew me away because I used to think if you went into a time machine and traveled back be be, be, before <laughs> 1900, it would all be black and white. Yeah, well, isn't I mean, it? <laughs> that's what I thought. Well, that's what I, that's, that's well, what I thought. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny you say that, Harry, because when I was a little kid, I, I, I always thought that. I said, well, you know. It was a different world. It didn't make any sense. I didn't understand it. And then I saw some film. I think it was of New York. Uh, you know, just a street scene of it that had been shot in Technicolor, uh, and completely blew my mind. And I went, "Oh my God, they were human," and and so on. And I think it's important, you know, to remember that at the end of the day. You know, what we're talking about is entertainment, mm-hmm. and it's no different than ice cream. We all order the flavor we want. So, exactly. Um, and if you're stuck ordering, in my case, um, you know, a Tutti flavor, I, I'm not going to disparage anyone <laughs> right now, but you know, if, 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 I, if I get stuck ordering certain flavors, <laughs> and that's all I get to eat, um, you know, uh, I might just pass and... And say, uh, you here, you have mine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as opposed to getting the flavor you want, then you want to eat a lot of it. And a lot of people are the same way about, about colorized films or non-colorized films. And, you know, each to his own. And um, it's funny. This kind of reminds me of, this, of the time I was at the Playboy Mansion at a whiskey tasting for Johnny Walker. Was and, he black or uh, white? we went through like six or seven, maybe eight different little tastings of different whiskeys, uh, um, including red, black, gold, green, blue. And then we tasted uh, three or four more other dry malts because all their whiskeys are blends, except for the green is a single malt, and uh, which was really only originally made for Asia. But so at the end of the thing... Most everybody else ran up to try to go talk to the to the girls, um, <laughs> and uh, of course, you know I never make wise decisions when alcohol's involved. <laughs> so I decided to go talk to the the distiller, and I said, "You know, excuse me, sir." And he had his thick Scottish brogue, and he was a very friendly, very engaging, very affable. And uh, I said, "You know, I, I get a lot of grief from my friends who." Uh, constantly berate me for taking a whiskey or a bourbon or a sour mash or whatever it may be and mixing it with something else. And he said, Todd, may I ask you a question, lad? And I said, absolutely. He said, are you paying for your whiskey out of your own pocket? I said, yes, sir, I am. He says, then you drink it any damn well way you please. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And tell your friends to drink it the damn way they please. (laughs) And I think this goes back to the same issue of colorization. Mm -hmm. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Don't drink it. It's not like there's not something else on television. We got uh, just a few moments left. Uh, Kellen, sum it up for us. What's your uh, final thought? And what are you up to? Well, I think think Todd actually said it best, and I think, and actually I, I wanted to... Uh, chime in on that thought too back with the, the, the talk about Gone with the Wind um, leave it on and if you don't like it don't watch it mm-hmm. you know what I mean um, if you don't and it, especially it's on HBO streaming if you don't you don't have to pick it okay <laughs> exactly you can, you can go somewhere else yep. um, and and I think the same way with colorization too and like I say I'm a fence writer um, there's some movies like I say man I don't 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 do it, don't 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 colorize stagecoach or whatever. But other ones, I look at, and I think, wow, that's that's great. So um, there's some good and some bad. Um, but but uh, you know, if you don't like it, don't watch it. And if you do, eat it up. I want to leave everybody with a thought, especially Very Todd quickly. and Harry. Very quick. There are neighborhoods in New York 
and there are parts of Monument Valley that are black and white. So it just depends on where, <laughs> what, what, what plate, what block you're on. There you go. Uh, you know, yeah. our, our Facebook poll, uh, 350 responses, and it was split right down the middle. That's the it for this edition of Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Next week, we will be talking with Todd's uh, former house guest, Dan, and uh, it's going to be about Custer's Last Stand. And that's coming up here on Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Kellen, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, amigo. Thank you, both you amigos. All right. Well, we'll be seeing you guys or talking to you guys again. Until then. Anon. So long. Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West.